welcome to LOA Today. I'm Walt Thiessen. With me today is financial advisor Jody Lynn Craven. This is your Daily Dose of Happy. We are so happy you decided to join us today. And today is actually going to be a double Daily Dose of Happy. And, and the reason we know we're going to be able to do that is because we have a guest today who is literally the happiest man on earth. How do I know this? Well, he told me so, and I believed him. Now, we're going to find out what happens when you combine the happiest man on earth with your daily dose of happy. The one thing I do recommend is is this. We do not make any guarantees that your electronics won't blow up, that things will, <laughs> won't go crazy, that, that all of a sudden amazing things. We don't make any guarantees that none of that's going to happen. If it does happen, please report it to us. We'll be happy to try to do what we can to compensate. No, no, I'm just kidding. No, this is going to be fun. And, and Jody, we, we always have a good time, right? We always have a, always. a daily dose on here, right? Yes. Um, but can you imagine that it's actually going to get happier? I I know. I was going to say, put on your helmets, ladies and gentlemen. Right. Buckle up your seatbelt. Exactly. It's going to yeah, be fun. It's, it's going to be cool. So his name no, is David. No pressure Coke. on my part. No, none whatsoever. <laughs> this is going to be easy, easy squeezy. <laughs> So David Cope, uh, like so many people, has had his crash and burn moment. Um, about 20 years ago, he went through a devastating divorce and uh, suffered from some chronic autoimmune disorders. And then he turned it around. And that's the story he's going to be starting off with today. So, David, first of all, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. And how are you doing? I'm happy. Well, what a shock. <laughs> I'm having a good day. <laughs> Yeah, my dad. My dad taught me every day is a good day. This some are better than others. Ah, that's a good good philosophy to live by. Good. Yeah. Yes. I like or that. It's kind of like every day is a Friday. Yeah. Every, no. Every day is 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 just. See, when you're happy, you don't differentiate between the days of the week because when you feel good about yourself and in, engaged in life. It doesn't matter whether it's a Sunday or a Saturday or a Monday because you're sure. always doing something you love to do because everything in your life is an expression of yourself. So the days of the week or what I'm doing or not doing is is not relevant to me. Though I know when it's a Monday and it's a Friday and I yeah, still sure. look forward to my weekends, but when you when you have a sense of happiness and fulfillment there's no differentiation between the days and what you're doing because even though I'm working, I'm still doing what I love to do. So I don't get up and say, Oh, I have to go to work. It's Monday morning. I had a nice weekend. And when I'm with the weekend, I'm with myself and spending time doing what I love to do and enjoying my partner. So it's a really interesting uh, change in understanding about life. When you're having internal happiness, the, the, the days of the week are not relevant to how you mm. feel and what your expectations are. Very true. By the way, we're also blessed because one of our um, listeners is listening on the live stream who is, she says she's the happiest woman alive. So we have both the happiest man alive and the happiest woman alive here at the same time on the same show. This, this show is going to like blow up in any second. Yeah, be careful. <laughs> yeah, this, this could get really, really dynamic. Which is okay. So anyway, tell us your story. Tell us what happened 20 years ago. Okay, so I've been a businessman all my life. And I had got married and had four children. And 20 years into my marriage, my wife comes to me and says, David, I want a divorce. And I was devastated because I thought the challenges and issues we had in our marriage were typical and just something you work through. And I'd never imagined her coming to say, I want a divorce. And what happened was my whole life fell apart and crashed because my self-identity was tied into being a dad and having four kids who I love, getting up every morning and being married and everything I knew about my life collapsed. Mm -hmm. And I, I went into a deep spiral Emotionally, I've always been healthy, happy, happy in the context of, you know, had a good life, worked hard and, you know, was, was very grateful for my life. But I went into a very dark spiral of depression and mm -hmm. I was at a place that I'd never been before. And I got uh, an illness 
that I went to the doctors and they said, David, we're testing you're fine. But I knew there was something wrong because I was taking three or four naps a day and I didn't have any energy. I was depressed. And the first time it dawned on me that I thought when you go to doctors, they help you get better. But a chronic illness that I had with no known cure on immune disorder, that's what you go to doctors. They don't they can't help you. Hmm. which was actually a good thing in hindsight because it pushed me to try to find other answers to solve what was going on with me physically. And that led me into this whole new journey of self-exploration, hmm. uh, which which came from the realization that my health, my physical health was directly related to my emotional health. Yes. And my emotional health was was disrupted severely by a, a loss um, called a divorce and a separation from my wife and my children. Mm-hmm. And and what it what it allowed me to do is to have this this epiphany that the reason why I got sick and my emotional life uh was collapsing was because I had a self-identity as who I was as a father and my meaning and purpose was tied into being a dad and getting up every morning and and having my children around and that epiphany led me into this journey of in hindsight which is now I call the journey of being happy and and say and knowing myself as the happiest man alive it's because I, I had to understand that in order to, to be connected to myself and being fulfilled internally, I could not no longer have external things in my life that defined and created self-identities. Mm-hmm. So the beauty of the divorce and the the, the challenge of um, losing all my money and having get out out of my house not seeing my kids and going for a very emotionally dramatic divorce and having severe anxiety and diseases the gift is what we want to see was it pushed me into a whole new awareness of myself that it was the the before the divorce and after the divorce kind of the life of david and it kind of was an awakening and it pushed me into awarenesses that I never would have had if I hadn't been to the bottom of my feeling of myself and seeking answers that I, I went to spiritual teachers. I went to um, doctors, therapists, uh, alternative therapists, everything you could name spiritually, physically. And, um, I went to find answers and I could not find an answer that would solve my problem. And in, in this, this search, I found out that the concept of searching outside of yourself for answers is a very problem. Why we never find the answers. Right. Because the answers are always within ourselves. So yeah. once I knew that and stopped looking to others who I thought knew more than me, they were experts. And I realized either what, either they, what they're teaching wasn't working. Or I was, or, or I was not doing it right. So I had to make the realization it wasn't me; it was them. Not in a pejorative sense, but I had to understand that everything everybody teaching wasn't doing the very thing that they thought they were teaching. <laughs> and I had to understand that I was I wasn't doing it wrong, and that's not why it was working. It's because what they're teaching doesn't work. So what that did is it pushed me to propel me to find my answers inside. So all of my answers now work because they, they, they solved the problem that I didn't know that I was looking for. And the problem I was looking for was me. And I was searching for answers in spirituality and, and self-help books and meditation and every place else, law of attraction. Everybody, every place else but me. So when I found myself, meaning I knew, learned how to connect with myself, then I actually developed a self and I, and I got to know who I am because when we have self identities and we 
have attachments to our children, our being a grandparent, our jobs, our money, then we, we're not connected to ourselves because of the very nature of attachments and self-identities are, this is not who we are, it's who we become to know ourselves as kind of the false self. And until you discover your true self and connect with you and build a relationship, there is, there is no self. The self um, is, is lost in the concept of the mind. Um, I hope I'm not getting off track too much. No, you're doing fine. So we, we live in the mind. The mind is a construct created by the brain which creates our false self by taking our life experiences and weaving them together. And that's why we seek our meaning and purpose, our self-identity externally, because the mind is a, is a false self. And uh, we, we never know the tr- our true self. And that's why we're always searching. We're searching for the meaning and purpose of life, our true self or our authentic life, because we, we, our, our brain and our mind seek answers externally to define who we are because we're, because the mind doesn't, it doesn't actually have a self. It's a pseudo self. So what you have to do in this journey is transcend your mind and enter into what I, what I call the heart, the heart. Mm-hmm. And if, if anybody's ever studied, uh, heart math, Sure. And you know that the the heart is cognitive and and is 50,000 times more powerful than the mind. Mm-hmm. And when you move and transcend the mind and enter into the heart energy, which is which sounds kind of weird, but um it, you actually find yourself. You can't find yourself in the mind. So no. for example, enlightenment uh which we, we believe is the highest form of ourself is actually no self. It's it's a feeling of oneness with all, which is actually an experience of the mind. So meditation takes us away from ourself. And what we want to do is connect with ourself, which happens through transcending the mind and developing a self. And I call this, one way of describing this is Maslow's journey of self-actualization, mm. becoming the greatest version of ourselves. So we're actualizing into our potentiality of ourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, the journey of self-actualization, transcending the mind is, is in becoming the best version of ourself, meaning developing a self who I know myself as to be the potentiality of my seed when I was born is in, in a sense in opposition to enlightenment or the journey of um, no self and oneness with all. And the journey of self-actualization or the journey of happiness is is a connection to yourself, knowing that you develop a unique self as you, and then you live through that self and the experience of yourself as opposed to the mind. So how am I doing? <laughs> well, you covered quite a bit there. And, yeah. and Jody Lynn, I mean, this sounds, uh, well, first of all, it sounds like a very familiar tale to us. I'm sure you're, you're, you're agreeing yes. with that. Um, Maria, the, 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 the aforementioned happiest woman alive, uh, made the comment. She says, awesome how we learn from our pain and the awesome journeys it takes us on. We are thankful for it, even though we don't want to go through it again. I still resonate already with this. So okay. yeah, you're already, you're already. So making, just a point uh, of clarification uh, is it's not that we don't want to go through it again. We, we, we have to continually embracing the challenges. Uh, once we understand that life is a consecutive and a series of challenges that there are never ending. So we have, in order to be happy and self actualized, we have to look at life as a constant and continual uh, series of challenges in life, losses mm-hmm. and issues that, that, Nobody ever discusses and we think our journey, our life is unique and we are, we're the only ones that have challenges. But when I talk to a group of say a hundred people and I ask them to raise their hand, how many people have, has been through a divorce? How many people have been ill? How many lost a loved one? Sure. How many got broken up when they're high school? And all of those things are pain and challenges. Mm-hmm. And when we embrace them and say, the, the, the best thing that ever happened to me or happens to me are my challenges. 
because that's when I self-actualize. Yeah, sure. Because I mean, real ultimately, I mean, I think she's right. We really don't want to have to go through it again, but we do learn so much from it, including how to embrace the thing that was painful to us. That's well, part of that process. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to clarify something here. It, it isn't painful. There is no pain when you grow and learn. There's the pain, pain when you're experiencing it the first time, though. Yes. And that's when that's the pain that she's referring to. Yeah, but the but the the pain ceased to exist. So if yeah, I had I to go through a divorce again, I, I, I which I wouldn't, but I wouldn't. It wouldn't be painful. Sure. Because I've learned and grown from it. So yeah, of course. Yeah. It would be a different I, I, feeling, if you will. It wouldn't exactly. be as as traumatic maybe as the first time that you went through it. Yes. And and so ever since my divorce, I look at the, my mother dying, my father dying, uh, um, uh, my daughter in an unhealthy relationship and gets uh, abused. Uh, All of the challenges that I once thought I wanted to suppress and ignore, I embrace them. And I recognize that pain is an illusion. Pain only exists in the mind. If we learn and grow from and in in the experience, you know, it's um, um, then the the pain does. There is no pain. The pain only exists when we suppress and deny the experience that we're going through. Sure. And, And so then you realize that there isn't anything that happens in your life that's painful. So there. Even when my mother or father dies, my bless my two sisters, they're crushed and destroyed and still can't talk about my mother or my father or go in the house. But I, I don't have any pain over it because I, I have a different interpretation of what it is and see it as a growth and learning opportunity. So what you, what you end up doing is you, you have a totally different shift in understanding about how life works and, and what you're trying to accomplish by living your life, that life is a series of challenges and losses that you embrace to grow and learn that allows you to grow and develop aspects and parts of yourself that you didn't even know existed. Mm-hmm. So that's the, the self-actualization mm-hmm. journey. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. I, I think actually, um, I mean, there are lots of different ways of, of looking at this, and certainly the way you're looking at it uh, is definitely one that I can see would work for you. And Maria was liking it too. She's saying, wow, thanks. So uh, it's definitely resonating. Um, I I personally don't think there's anything really terrible about experiencing pain because that's part of how we get to the place that you're describing where we're at yeah. the other end, we're at the other side. Um, doesn't mean that I, that I didn't feel the pain before. Like you say, uh, you get to the point where you don't feel the pain anymore. And it's true. The pain yeah. dissipates because you, you gain a new perspective. And that's fabulous. We love that. I mean, Jody Lynn and I, Jody Lynn, how many times have we talked about that in our own lives, right? Different a things lot. that have happened to us. Yeah. yeah. And you I come was out the other that- side. Yeah, I was just saying that to my dad actually yesterday. You know, all of the challenges that I've been through in my life, I'm so mm-hmm. grateful because I wouldn't be the person that I am right now. Yeah, exactly. That's where they're golden nuggets that come out of these, right. these bloody situations that we find ourselves in. Yeah, we don't react to well the first time around. Yeah. So it's so the the difference that is that you actually embrace them. And you look, you know, they're coming and they're around the corner and you anticipate them so that you, there's, so they don't become painful. They become learning. See, one of the things that I got out of the, the, the loss of being a dad was I developed this, uh, uh, a heal, a grief process called the, the healthy grieving process that allows people to actually heal from the pain of their loss of grief. Mm-hmm. And I, I taught therapists for many years and, and there, there is no um, therapy that allows people to heal from the pain. All the therapy does is suppress it and teaches us how to do things in our mind that um, allow us to no longer um, um experience the pain so we think of things that remind us of the good um experience of the ourselves so i i know walt you you rolled your eyes up a little but 
I spent years. Well, re- I, it wasn't so much that I rolled my eyes up. I was thinking, well, I, I wouldn't want to say that all therapy doesn't work because I, I didn't know, say that I, it doesn't work. I well, said well, that well, well, let me let me finish what I'm saying here. Okay, yeah. I, I I hear what you're saying, but hear me, okay? Yeah. Um, but what I'm trying to get to here is therapists are often, and and actually the good therapists are in in the business of not trying to paint one way or another for their their clients what is it the clients are going through. They're simply trying to help guide them through to the point where they're able to release pain, where they're able to release uh, frustrations and do the growing that they want to do. That's what a good therapist does. So what, so here's what I found, Walt, in my years of, in years now working with people who've been to therapy, that all, all the therapy, and it doesn't mean that therapy isn't good and helpful, but my point was is that the, the pain, when you work with traditional therapy, it's never resolved. It's suppressed. I don't think that's true, though. Well, I, I don't think that's true. I don't think it's an accurate representation. That may be true in certain cases, but a good therapist will actually lead the person through the grieving process until they're able to get to the point where the, the pain isn't suppressed. It's just released. Releasing isn't the same as, as suppressing. Okay. So my experience, Walt, is different. Actually, in the field of grief and loss and working with hundreds of people who've been to therapists, I've yet to find one person who has resolved their grief. And I know that because once I bring the grief up, the pain comes right back and it can be re-stimulated and they can relive the pain again. So what the goal is, is that that it's not suppressed and that the pain is gone and that while we my experience has been while they're well-meaning and a therapist that there's a there's a special understanding that allows a person to resolve grief that traditional therapy because i trained many therapists who were specialists in grief and loss who were very good that took took the course that i taught and they all shared with me that it was totally different than anything they've ever done before. Mm-hmm. The only reason why I'm bringing this up is that it's in order to be happy, you have to have you have to resolve the pain in your life. You can't be happy and 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 manage and, and suppressing pain because pain and happiness are incongruent. So in order to be happy, the, you have to have that the resolution of the pain that you had in your life. And that's the journey of self-actualization to realize that pain is actually an illusion that doesn't exist. It's created by the mind Sure. because pain and happiness are the opposite ends of, of a spectrum. And as long as you hold on to pain, that pain is always an underpinning and how you see and interpret your life that, that is, um, experiencing how you feel about yourself and how you perceive and understand the world. So if you, if you have suppressed pain, it creates a filter and a, and a, and a perspective that's always there that, so for example, if the pain is suppressed, you go into a relationship with somebody because you've been hurt by the past gentleman or woman and the pain influenced your ability to to love again and to have an intimate relationship with somebody because you you know the pain is there that you might get hurt again so you hold back in your life and you don't fully experience yourself in the relationship because you're afraid of getting hurt so in order to feel to love again in a new relationship you can't have the pain to bring forward because the pain always limits yourself and your experience in all relationships because the mind wants to prevent us from being hurt. It's that the one time, the first time we get hurt and broken up, our mind says, I'm never going to go through this again. And that's always in us and always interferes with all relationships. And we wonder why we don't have intimate and loving relationships with people truly. And it's because of that pain that we've held on to that influenced us and says, and an unconscious, I'm not going through that again. I'm not going to be intimate and open my heart up because I know I'll be taken advantage of and be hurt. So I'm going to go into this relationship and carry forth that unknowingly pain so that 
I, I protect myself and my heart from be, having hurt and pain. And, and we unconsciously go through life living that uh, unknowingly that's in, it's influencing every relationship that we have and why we don't have loving intimate relationships with the, the people where we care about the most. So Jeffrey's asking a question in the live stream. He says, do we need to learn how to appreciate the heartbreak? Well, we want to value the heartbreak and realize that it was a gift. So in, in part of the, the, the grief and loss that I teach to heal, you have to see the gift in all of your losses. It can't be a, it can't be a, um, a gift that says, oh, I, I, I have gratitude for what happened to me and I can see that it actually has to be a deep, um, understanding at a very heartfelt level of what, how you grew and learned and why that was a good thing that happened to you. And when we, when we, when we can see the gift and do it and embrace the gift, not from an intellectualizing, you know, which, which is what the mind does. There is no healing of grief and, and pain in the mind. The mind only re, uh, what the mind does, it, it repositions it and suppresses it. So we think we've dealt with it. That pain is actually healed from the place of the heart. The heart energy is what heals pain. The mind can't, the mind wants pain and create, and creates the pain, which allows us to be limited and live in the, the perspective of, of, of our limit, limiting experience of ourself and our beliefs and our patterns. So pain is a very important piece to keep us in our comfort zone, to keep us small and hiding, uh, not to be the best version of ourselves. So we hold on to it unconsciously. So we have to come from it from a diff- different place of understanding of the, the value of the loss. Uh, so as it, as part of growing and being, you know, you know, I work with a, a gentleman that lost a a nine-year-old child. He said, how can I see the gift in losing a nine-year-old child? That's not possible. And that's what the mind says. There's no gift that ever can can take the pain away from me of losing a nine-year-old child. And this was 15 years later. He was still crushed. His marriage was in turmoil over the loss of his child. Not 15 years later, he was still in pain. And, and, and I helped him see the gift of, of his child dying, which was bringing the family together. The other children had an opportunity. They, they, they have an opportunity to come together. And he finally saw the gift and saw that, that why, why, in a in one perspective, why did God bring this experience to myself to learn and heal from? And what was his plan? One way of understanding it. And then when you can see that, he, the pain was gone and he was able to go back to his wife and, and, um, and work on the relationship and what he, the pain, um, subsided even from the pain of, for example, of a, a child being dying, which is one of the most difficult pains to understand why did this happen to me and what's the gift of a child dying? So Jody Lynn, when you're listening to what David is saying, uh, what parts are resonating the most with you? What do you, what, when you, when you hear the message, where, where are you picking and say, yeah, wow, I'm really on board with that. Yeah. Um, I, it's so interesting because I've been through a lot of traumatic things in my life mm-hmm. and we've talked a lot about them on the show because I'm sure. very open with that. Not all of them, but some of them, <laughs> quite a few, though. some of the highlights. <laughs> yeah. But I'm sure, you know, the longer we're on here, the more I'll spill all my guts. Um, and it's that concept. I think what you're getting at David of appreciating and seeing the gift in something that has happened to you, um, that has been traumatizing or really difficult or, or whatever. It's very difficult to explain a lot of times. But for me personally, I feel it from that heart space from my heart 
what you're saying, what you're trying to say, because I've been able to get to the other side with these traumas for myself and look at other things like you were talking about bringing the family together. And that's, um, I always look at things from a 10,000 view perspective so I can see those things a little bit easier than, than most. Um, but I know a lot of people struggle with this. So I understand the concept that you're talking about. And I think it's interesting because we get stuck on words. So like seeing that it was a good thing that, you know, the child died, people are like, what? That's awful. How could you ever say that? That's not possible. But we have this unique relationship with our words where we say things and we're so attached to what they mean to us that we can't get past that. So for some people, it might not be the word good. You know, I can't, I can't put good and my child dying in the same sentence, but you take, you change the definition of good, that it was okay. And it's almost like the spiral that we always talk about, Walt. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's Abraham's Hicks spiral of, I, I don't remember what it's called, but that the, the, the emotional guidance scale. Thank you. The emotional yes. <laughs> guidance scale and, and moving your way up that ladder with that experience to, to better feeling. So that, that resonates. Mm-hmm. So let me, let me just, I'm going to challenge you, Jody Lynn and Walt, sure. just to help you understand uh, perspective. The first comment I would like, I'm going to talk about is the, why do you, why do you still say you had traumatic experiences? And why is it still hard for you to talk about your traumatic experiences if you've healed? Well, so, I wouldn't say that it's hard because I'm, I'm an open well, book and I've talked about them well, a, a lot here. Did, can, did, well, wait a minute, David. Let, let, let her answer the question. You asked yeah. a question. Well, let her answer. Well, I wasn't, but I wasn't finished. Okay, you finished the question. So, so my point is, is you said no, 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 no. You can't make a point. You, you ask the question, let her answer it, and then you, you oh. can address afterward. But, but okay, good. You, you, okay. you can't pre-answer the question for her. No, no, I'm, I'm trying to, what I'm trying to say is, she said, I, I'm, I haven't shared all the things yet and eventually I will share them. So what, what I'm trying to say is why aren't you sharing all of them and why do you keep some more that you still don't feel comfortable sharing because it's uncomfortable? So what, when we heal from these traumatic experiences yeah we're no longer holding them in and feel that our life uh, well i don't understand why you're laughing at what i'm saying i'll I'll, I'll be happy to tell you why i'm laughing because you don't let her answer a question no you you, you start off at no wait a minute You, you start off asking a question and then you express the question and then before she has a chance to even say anything you start explaining the 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 answer to the question well well, okay, That's not so the way a conversation works. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay, excuse me. I apologize. So, it why is it that there's still why do you still have uh, feel that you still had traumatic experiences that haven't uh, that you haven't talked about that you're waiting in your open book, and why do you call them traumatic if you've healed? The the problem with let her answer the question first okay. before yeah. you go any further. Okay, um, thank you, Walt. I'm, I'm going to try and self, self-evaluate self a little bit with this whole, this whole concept. I call them traumatic experiences because I'm quantifying, I guess, the depth in other people's minds. The things that I've been through would be classed as a traumatic event. So I think that's why I used that word. For me, they're not they're not, I don't have that trauma response around them anymore. That's why I talk about them openly in terms of why I haven't talked about some of the things that I've been through openly here is just the opportunity to talk about them would be kind of coming out of left field in, in, in our conversation context. And that's why I said I would talk about them or I probably will talk about them okay. given time on this show. Okay. Thank yeah. you. That's helpful. So for the listeners, the, the the problem in therapy of and we we are defining the experience that we have in life as traumatic. Mm-hmm. There's a problem with using the term traumatic in therapy because traumatic makes it suggest that the experience of yourself, by definition, is unique and unusual. 
um, when you look up the definition of traumatic by the psychological society, there's something unique and different about something that causes it to be traumatic. And what happens when we label something as traumatic, our mind says it's, it's deep and painful. And it, it makes it overwhelming so we can't resolve it. So mm. one of the things that I work with people is, is called normalization. And normalization takes anything that's traumatic and normalizes it. So we don't make it feel like what has happened to us is unique and different. There's nothing that's happened to you, Jody, Lynn, or Walt, or myself on average to the person that has isn't a common experience that humans go through on a regular basis. It's very rare for anybody that we know in our culture and society that has had an actual traumatic experience because everything that we experience is, is well within the normal range of what we experience as humans. So when we normalize it, we can actually deal with it and resolve it. But when therapy calls it traumatic, you know, therapy would call a divorce a traumatic experience. And they, they, they call the death of a loved one a traumatic experience. But all of those are normal human experience and, and we can't resolve them psychologically when we make them, um, uh, uh, traumatic. And what, and for the way the person feels when they make something traumatic, it's big and hard and difficult and difficult to work through. But the truth is, is that most of us, there's very few of us that's ever gone through something actually traumatic. And that when we normalize it, which is a very common psychological issue, we can actually work through it and resolve it. So we don't have to carry it into the future as mm -hmm. something that we went through that made our life difficult or challenging. We realize it's just the normal experience of being human and that everything we go through that we think is traumatic is actually the very thing that every human goes through, uh, regardless of what country or age or what we're in. And then you can actually resolve things because you're not making it special and unique to yourself. Okay, I've got more follow-up questions then. <laughs> okay, thank you. Okay, number one would be, what if it is traumatic? Like outside of the scope of the way that you've just defined it. Okay, give me an example of a traumatic experience. Uh, when I was 11 years old, I was molested. Okay, so that's, a, so that's not traumatic. Okay. Because in my definition, because I was molested too when I was okay. five. And be, so it's more normal. Yeah, twenty-five percent of all children have been molested. So, so I have means, a I have a question I need to ask right here. If that isn't traumatic, what is? Tra traumatic is something that is, and this is by the, the American psychological definition of traumatic, is something that's rare and unique. That so traumatic would be, I go to another country and I'm I get bombed and in Ukraine. I've never had that experience. It isn't normal for me to be bombed in the United States of America. But if I go someplace else and have an experience that isn't within, is, is, is different and unique, then it's not, that's what's traumatic. But nobody in the United States have ever been bombed. So, so, but a traumatic experience is actually something that is, is uniquely different that we're not prepared for. And there's no context for us to have an experience to understand that that happens in our society or culture. This isn't something I, that I, I, I need to, I need to follow up on my question. Sure. Um, because as you were talking, you, you, you made a statement. I don't remember exactly what your phrasing was, but the gist of it was, this is what the, the official psychological definition of it is. So I, I did a lookup. I did a lookup of the DSM-5 definition of trauma and it says the DSM, the, the DSM-5 definition of trauma says it's an actual or threatened death, serious injury or yeah. sexual violence. Okay. Well, uh, molestation is sexual violence. So it sounds no. to me like trauma, trauma does actually cover no. sexual violence. Yeah. It, but, most, most sexual, uh, what you and I most likely wasn't sexual violence. Sexual violence is, is a, is a, is, um, when you, let's say I'm a man 
and I, I, I go down a street in the dark and somebody jumps me and I, I'm unprepared and they violate me. That's sexual violence. It, uh, being abused by a family member is, is not sexual violence. It's, it's sexual abuse. I don't think I agree with that. I don't think I agree with that. Well, it's because well, it, it is a violation and, and I, I think that there's a there's a little problem with with separating the word violence from violation. Well, they're two different words. They're violence different words, is, but there's a lot of overlap between them. And trying to say that they aren't really uh, that, no, that they're, they're very very different is a little bit. That, that's no, a they bit are different. There's a not all sexual abuse is violent. They, they are violated, but they're not. It's not mm -hmm. violent. The abuse that I, the, the sexual abuse that I went through by my nanny wasn't violent. It was actually very soft and sensitive and it was in a, a place in, you know, in a bedroom and it was, it was not violent. I was violated, but that's the most common sexual abuse happens in that context. Doesn't make it right. But what I'm saying is if 25% of children are sexually abused, is it in the concept it's not traumatic because if if Jody Lynn and I both have happened to it and 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 you ha and other people say well I was sexually abused then you normalize it to realize oh if 25% of people have had it then it, it doesn't make me something bad didn't happen to me because it's a very common experience that we have in our culture and society it doesn't make it right but so, it, if, so if a hundred thousand people were killed on Hiroshima all at the same time, it was common. No, no, no. That would have been traumatic because they were happened, living. It, it happened across the society. No, the it was traumatic to the people in Hiroshima because they've never been bombed and nobody ever bombed Japan, and it was it was totally unique experience that they never could predict it. If you live in Ukraine now in in Kiev. The, the bombings aren't traumatic now because they begin to use to, to, to live with it and they understand the nature of it. So it's not traumatic and they live to accept and embrace the reality of it. But if I was bombed in Denver, that would be traumatic because it, it's so unique. The first time that somebody was bombed in, in the capital, Ukraine was traumatic, but it, when it happens on a regular consistent basis, it's no longer traumatic because you're you understand this is the norm. Okay. So it doesn't so, make any of these things right, but no, it's no, we're not saying they're right. Yeah. yeah. So in defining them differently, traumatic versus not traumatic, we're um, normalized. Think, nor normal. Normalizing. Yes. Thank you for the words. That's so in normalizing it, what is the 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 benefit? to that like what's the next step like wh right. why would you want to normalize that yeah so the the concept of normalization is not is to make your your experience if you had within within the range of of human experiences that is common so that you don't make it uh something that is rare and unique to yourself which then you carry forward because it can't be resolved so the purpose of normalization is to see it's a common human experience. There's nothing unique about what's happened to you so that you can more easily resolve it and see that there's something bad didn't happen to you. So, for example, a divorce could be considered traumatic. But if, yeah. if you realize that that millions of people are going through a divorce in any given year, then it's a common experience, so it can't be traumatic. And what you went through has to be normal. And we all, everybody that goes through the divorce goes through the same emotional difficulty because we're humans. So mm -hmm. if, if you normalize divorce, you realize, gee, I just have to work away, work through this challenging, difficult time. What I'm going through is no different than anybody else has ever gone through a divorce. So don't make this more difficult and challenging than it has to be because it's a normal thing. It's uncomfortable. It's unpleasant. I, I don't enjoy going through it, but I'm not having the only experience. Most people think their divorce is the worst ever of any divorce and their hardship and pain was more difficult than anybody. That's what we do in the mind. That's what makes it traumatic. 
But no, I'm not sure that's entirely true. I think what actually goes on when we go through something like that is is we think it's the worst thing that's ever happened to me. We yes, don't but that's compare the problem. It to everybody else. We don't necessarily yes. compare it to everybody else. But that's the problem, Walt, is that we the worst thing that ever happened to me. Normalizing says it, it isn't the worst thing that ever happened because it's normal. We we only make it the worst thing happen to us when we think it's unique, unusual to us. But when you normalize it psychologically, it, we then realize what I'm going through isn't the worst thing that ever happened to me. It's a normal thing that happens to everybody. It's a different shift in perspective. It doesn't mean it isn't difficult and hard, but normalization says it's no, what you're going through is normal and we all feel the same way. We all have the same challenge. So yes, it's hard and difficult, but I can manage my way through it much better if I know this really isn't a hard thing I'm going through, that it's normal and it's part of life and half of everybody in the in the United States goes through a divorce. So then you don't make it so emotionally challenging and difficult that it takes you years and years to get through it thinking this is the most difficult thing that ever happened to me. You realize, oh, this is just a divorce. It's uncomfortable. And this is what happens as a grown-up adult. And I'll, I'll work my way through it the best I can. Because I've worked with many people who go through divorces and they think it's just, it, it's, it's, they can't get through it. The emotional pain is so great. I'll never feel like I ever felt again. And they drag this out for years because they make it like the worst thing that ever happened to them. And I'll never have my life back again. So when you normalize it, you realize, if, if Walt, if you go through a divorce and Joni Lynn and I go for the divorce, we're going to have the same experience emotionally. Mm-hmm. And, it, and some can be relatively more challenging, but a divorce is a divorce. Is a, it's not fun. It's difficult. But if you've been through a divorce and you sit down with somebody, we all share the same experiences. None of, mm-hmm. No experience going through a divorce is unique. So I think what what you're trying to say or what I'm in, interpreting from what you're saying is that when you label it, for lack of a better term, as normal or yeah. you have this normalization process within the brain, it's it's almost giving your brain the ability to detach from that trauma yeah. and have hope. That's because yeah. the way that you said it is I have a divorce. It's the worst one ever. I'm never going to get through this. Yeah. This is going to ruin my life. Whatever it is, all of those attachments that you have there, when you bring it back to normal, quote unquote, within the brain, then you're able to detach from some of those other things and create some space for a new opportunity exactly. to arise. Beautiful. Very well said. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And, and, yeah. Very yeah. good. That was good. That was a nice summary. I like the way you did that, Jody. Yeah, Jody thank Lynn. You. Excuse me. I, I'm 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 trying. I used to call her Jody all the time, and then she she said, "Well, I like Jody Lynn better," and so I'm trying to retrain myself. Jody Lynn, not Jody. Well, well it <laughs> helps me, Walt, because her name is up there, and at least and now I know how to spell it. So oh, yeah. Well, Jody yeah, that helps Lynn. too, right? You know, but I just look at her and I think, well, that's Jody Lynn. That's who that is. Yes, that's Jody Lynn. <laughs> It's, it's part okay. of that labeling process. We're, that's really what we're talking about here. We're talking about yeah. how do we label things? How do we yes. think about them? How And, and what yeah. emotions do we attach to, to the words that we're using and the concepts that we're using? Yeah. And to what degree are we able to uh, look at those things? Look is, is kind of a funny thing. We, we, we have these ways of expressing things that are physically based because that's the way our language is structured. But looking at them from the heart, looking at, yeah. you know, how, how, do I, how do I heart look at this? How do I mm-hmm. heart experience this? That's, and I think it's really hard with the is. definitions that we have. Like, I mean, okay, you tell somebody who was m- molested when they were 11 years old, whether it was violent or nonviolent, like everybody goes through that. It's no big deal. And I know that's not what you said, David. No, that's not what I'm saying. I, I, not, but I know that's, that's something that could be interpreted by someone. And I know that's sure. not what you're getting at. That's why I summarized. Because we often run away with the definitions that we have in our mind and right. what it means to us to class certain things this way. Um, but I get, I get what you're saying. It gives us the space, bringing it back to normal, gives yeah. us that space to see. It, it doesn't mean it wasn't a horrible thing and should never have happened. Yeah. I mean, how do we move beyond and not carry it through the rest of our lives and say, my life turned away out it did because I was molested when I was five years old. And that's what people do. 
Yeah. We use it as a, a, a victim uh, story that prevents us from being all we can be because now we have an excuse. Oh, I was a, I was abused when I was five by my nanny. So I'm, I'm, I'm never going to feel love and safe and protected in, in a relationship with a woman again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's that's gonna that's not conducive to me growing and learning and taking responsibility for my life. So I have to heal and move on from it. And one of the ways you do that is to, to normalize it, meaning it does. It was a horrible thing that happened to me, and my nanny did a terrible thing to me. But I can't I can't hold on to the pain of what happened to me, because it will influence every aspect of my life, unconsciously or consciously. And I have to move beyond it. If I want to have a healthy, happy life, I can't carry on that I was molested when I was five because I've worked with people who were molested as children and they're 60 years old and they still use it and say, I can, I'll never be the same. My, my life can't be the same because I was molested by my uncle three times when I was at his house. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's a terrible thing, but we have to find a way to move beyond the pain that we have in our lives so that we can embrace life fully without having it holding us back as a reason why that we don't want to live our life fully. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm curious to know one other thing. Uh, we're kind of running low on time, so it probably okay, could be my last question. I'm not sure about Jody Lynn's last question, <laughs> but uh, my, my last question is going to be along this line. Um, there are many of us who go through life, we're experiencing stuff, we're trying to gain new perspectives, we're trying to um, to grow. There are many others who actually resist that. And and there are varying degrees of which to people, you know, they, they, they choose to grow, they, they sometimes choose to grow, they re- refuse to grow. There, there, there's a lot of variations, a lot of gray area in there. Uh, but the one commonality that I see, that I experience, is that, it really comes down to whether or not they're willing to take on new perspectives. That the people who are least willing to grow are the ones who are least interested in a new perspective. The ones who are most willing to grow are the ones most interested in new perspectives. And then there's all you know, the, the varying shades in the middle. So my question for you is, to what degree are you finding that the willingness to embrace perspective, particularly new perspectives, is involved in the normalization process that you're talking about? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, and, and, and it, it, not everybody wants to be healed. And unfortunately, the way the mind works, uh, we want to live in a victim mentality that, that we use to keep us small and hide in life. So there are some people that are, are naturally drawn to taking responsibility. I am where I am today based upon the choices and decisions I've made. Mm-hmm. And I want to be a product of my choices. And, and I, I, I don't know whether you're born that way or not, but it, like you said, there are many people who live with a victim mentality. I'm a, I'm a product of my circumstances. And when we live from that place, they don't want to see new perspectives and they don't want to change because they want to hold on to their victim story because they use it to, to keep them small and hide in life because they're scared of, of being their true self and being all that they can be because they're, what their mind says, don't be all you can be and don't be, go out into the world because you'll be found out as a fraud and you'll, you'll run into your limitations, your false self and you'll fall down and be a fool. And so let's play it safe. So we hold on to our victim story. You have, certain people have the, the capacity to normalize and want to heal pain and other people can't. I, in working with people, I have no control over it. But what I try to do, I find, try to find people who are open-minded and heart-based, who are have can understand and see that life is a place to grow and learn, and those are the people that have the are willing to see new perspectives, and not in a pejorative way. There's nothing, you know, it doesn't. There's nothing wrong with holding on to your pain and and having memorials to to to, to remember people. It's just a different way of living. But in order to shift your perspective and want to change and see it, you have to have a mindset that, that wants to take responsibility for your life and be the best you can be and grow and learn is a great question. It's, it's, and I don't want this all, any to sound pejorative because 
there's a different path for each person. They're all on their own journey. But as the happiest man alive, the question is, how do you become happy? Well, you don't become happy holding on to pain and being a victim and blaming your past for your circumstances. You become happy by taking responsibility, shifting your perspective, learning to change and be willing to see and understand new things and get outside your comfort zone and create your life. Thank you. Yeah. So, Jody Lynn, you got one more thing before we wrap up? I, I, I just agree. I agree with that, you know, having that, that ability or that wanting to be open-minded and see a new perspective. And, and I think that different points in people's life, they're more open based on what's happened to them. You know, in that moment when I was 11 years old, right after that happened, I was not open to a new perspective. I was not open to any sort of healing. I didn't have the tools for it. Didn't have the capacity for it. And I, I'm so thankful that I went through that because my capacity to love, forgive, have compassion for myself and others. And, and that came a lot from that experience. So I might not have had it in that moment, but I think we get multiple opportunities throughout our life to yeah, decide we, we want to change. Yeah. yeah. And it's I up think to that's us what, how we're going to, that's how we're going life, to respond. That's what yeah. life is. It's, it's a constant continual opportunity for us to make a choice of how we want to respond. And mm -hmm. for those of us or those that believe in God that or the universe, the universe is constantly giving us opportunities mm -hmm. that puts in our place to make those choices. And, yeah. and unfortunately I woke up uh, because of my divorce to be able to understand that's what the universe is doing to me any given day any given year and any any time in my life and i had to wake up to see that that's what the universe was was sending me to learn and grow so thank you that, that's a beautiful gift to receive no doubt about that hey before we part company um a couple things first if somebody wants to reach out to you and and find out more about uh how you can help them out how, how do they find you well, thank you. Thank you. Well, um, the, the best place that I no longer teach, uh, the, the happiness course and how to be happy. I, I have a, a woman that works with me named Karen and her website is www.ahappinesscourse.com. And she now teaches the journey of happiness. And we have a online course that we have that people can take to, to, um, open up their journey and shift their perspective. <laughs> okay. Very good. So we'll make sure we include a, a, a link in the show notes for that. And then the second thing I wanted to do before we part company is to thank you because <clears throat> um, first of all, you, you came out of the show to, to share your uh, ideas and, and inspirations here with us, but you also do it in other places as well. Mm -hmm. And all of us who are in the, the, I, I hesitate to call it a business because I mean, I do it just because yeah. I love it. I know Jody Lynn does too. I imagine you do as well, but yeah. I'll call it the business for lack of a better word. We're in the business of helping people in these yeah. ways. We, we, we talk to people many times. We, we don't even see who they are. We don't hear them. We don't, we, we never hear back from them, but we touch their lives in some way. And yeah. I know you have as well. So on behalf of those people, I want to yeah. thank you for, for how you've been able to touch the lives of people that you'll never meet and you'll never see. And thank you, Walt and Joylin, for giving this opportunity. As I said earlier, I don't get to share my journey very often because it's it's private, and 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 the mechanics that I went through. And thank you for this opportunity sharing. And I hope I have touched somebody's life in a way that might make a difference for them. So thank well, I know you, you for have. your podcast. Jeff Jeffrey said so right in the in the uh, in the the live stream. He said thank you for the healing. Thank you for the catalyst. So the answer to yeah. your question is yes, they did. Right. There it thank is. Thank you right there. So good stuff. It's Joey Lynn. What do you think? Did we, did we hit the, the peak again? Yeah, yeah. of course. I'm always learning something new and expanding. And, you know, for me, this conversation, honestly, truly a hundred percent transparency because I've never talked about that topic in mm. a, this public kind of setting, you mm. know, friends, family, colleagues in my coaching business. Sure. But never on like, live TV. Right, right. <laughs> Everybody here, right? I it, yeah. and not because I didn't want to, but I was waiting for the the opportunity where it made sense to do so. So, um but even that just just sharing that is peeling back another layer and and allowing yep. myself to to see if there's anything else that needs to be healed there. So, thanks for the opportunity. 
That's great stuff. All right. So thank you, David Cope. Thank you, Jody Lynn. Thank you to our podcast listeners everywhere. We will see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you. Goodbye.